Breathing in diesel exhaust fumes is like walking into a fire without a mask. Over time, those toxins lead to cancer. Protect yourself with MagnaGrip, the easiest, most reliable exhaust removal system that features a true 100% seal to eliminate diesel exhaust fumes. To get free grant assistance, visit MagnaGrip.com. Hey. Hi there. Hey. Hi there. <laughs> like saying um, hi to my husband, but hello everybody out there. Um, let's do the let's do an intro. Yeah, well, I'm I'm Dr. Beth Murphy, clinical psychologist in private practice and a retired firefighter from the city of Bellevue. And I'm sure many of you know my husband who is also uh, visible, um John Murphy. He's a retired deputy fire chief and from Eastside Fire, so different department. We always have to say that. Um, and um, uh, and he works as a physician assistant, and he's an attorney. So he is a overachiever. For anybody that is questioning that, I tell you right now, there's no if or question. He is. So, um, but he does have when failing. Just let you all know, his failure is. He has failed at retirement, so he does not do retirement. Uh, well, he just I'm retired also, from one job, did another. Uh, and I'm also an elected fire commissioner, newly oh, yeah. ordained. I so, forgot. How could I forget that? I know. Well, yes. when you're an overachiever, there's like things fall into cracks, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And I think some people um, have like said, well, you are too, to me. And I'm, I'm like, um, yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> so, um, so we, as always, um, finding a topic is, um, I, it shouldn't be that difficult, I guess. Um, and I think I, I've, I come across things often in um, my, I mean, for me personally, um, but in talking with uh, my various clients um, who have all been, they've all been firefighters. And I talk to, you know, people who are local. I talk to people who are across the country. I've even talked to people who are firefighters in other countries. <laughs> so, I've, I've had these really great, amazing conversations and um, I try and pay attention to um, what, I mean, in the course of conversation, it's like, you know, there are always like complaints and problems and struggles that come up. And I try and pay attention to like what ones keep coming up over and over and over again. Um, I also pay attention to if I'm doing therapy and, um, it, it seems like there's like a theme of the week and I don't know if it's because I direct it that way or it just kind of presents itself. Like the universe is like, Hey, here is a bunch of people talking about the same problem. Um, so let's make them all come to you this week. <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, but um, I'm open to any explanation for that. So um, <laughs> last night we we're, talking my husband he's like he reminds me monday he says um you have a show this week i think he started reminding me last week that i had a show the next week and then monday he's like you have a show friday um or, or and you know have you responded to 
Mark, who is you know, the wonderful uh, editorial magic person behind the scenes. And um, so I had every intention to email him and to take notes and to be well prepared. So here you go. Here's me explaining <laughs> all of this to you. And you probably didn't even want to know it. <laughs> and uh, so we decided last night we were going to talk about something. And most of the time when my husband suggests a topic to me, I'm like, that's a good talk topic. I don't think anybody wants to hear that from me as a woman. Um, uh, but, it, you know, it's like I then we start talking about it. And then I'm like, ooh, that was good. We should talk about that. <laughs> We should record our uh, our conversation. Yeah. yeah, I I say that I'm like going, honey. When you ask me a question and I start talking, just hit record. Don't even tell me. Um, I seem to go blank when anything is in front of me that is recording. Like whether I uh, I'm like I need to type this out, or I should record myself. It it just without fail. As soon as I know it's happening, mine goes blank. Um, so it's uh. It, that's kind of funny. I'm sure there's a psychological phenomenon for that um, and, and a word that goes with it. I'm just not sure what it is. Um, I mean, I guess it's like a type of stage fright, maybe. <laughs> uh, make up a word. <laughs> I, I'm not good at that. You make up a word. <laughs> no, I do better with my grandkids. Oh, yeah. Yes. John's great at making up words. You should hear him do a rhyming rap with the grandkids. <laughs> Um, he, he like rhymes real words with nonsensical words. And I'm like, not even my wildest dreams. Could I do that? So that's one of his hidden talents. Probably early <laughs> dementias. <laughs> so, um, anyway, uh, so last night we were talking and, um, before we came on air, I'm like, well, I think the topic is going to be stories, which I know is really broad. Um, but uh, hopefully I'm going to um, explain why that fits and why it's important. Um, I mean, I really, stories are important. Um, you know, it used to be that you know, before we started writing things down, um, we passed on uh, wisdom and traditions and so forth from person to person um, generation to generation through stories. And so stories have always been really important. And even when we started writing down our knowledge, we, um, we still told stories. And as I'm saying this, I'm, I'm struck by the fact that the fire service is like full of stories. And, um, and some of them are really helpful and some of them are not all that helpful, but they still speak to like where the fire service came from and the fire service tradition and, um, and, and maybe why it's so difficult to change. Um, but at a personal level, it is important because that, you know, the stories that we tell ourselves, it's like that can either help us grow or it can um move us into uh, you know a mental illness um so and and it's 
there are some people where they may they may default to like a more positive story um they'll it it'd be like well this is a really crappy story but look i learned something from it so you get this kind of positive twist and not really the well it can be that um you know like that uh saying of you know when life gives you lemons make lemonade right or or there's a silver lining in every cloud so we have those sayings that really um encompass this idea of our experiences having a mix of good and bad um but it's not enough to just experience something uh difficult and painful and then go you know oh well um i'm it's like that's in the past i'm just moving on <laughs> i mean it's like or or to um or to think that you have to find that silver lining or make lemonade out of it, make something positive out of it. Um, sometimes the story is crappy and there's no way to put a positive spin on it. And it, But you still need to make some sort of meaning out of it so that when you go forward, if you face something like that again, your brain will go, oh, we've been here already and that didn't work, but we thought about it and determined that maybe this would work. <laughs> I mean, I, and I realize I'm making conscious something that really happens unconsciously and in like pff, a split second or, or faster, a nanosecond, whatever it is. Um, but it's like, there's, there's a lot of processing that goes on unconsciously. And, um, and so our story, what we say out loud or what we think to ourselves, um, that is a fraction of, of what really is underneath everything. Um, and that's kind of one of the things that therapy is about is trying to help people make things conscious so that they can, they can make some meaning out of it and they can make some change. Um, so, and that's been, that's kind of been something that I see comes up a lot when I work with firefighters, but it also is something that I see in the culture of the fire service and, and just, you know, the importance of the story and how we tell the story. Um, because sometimes how we tell the story and what the story is, it is, it is the culture and, and that culture can be harmful. Um, I, I think some in a previous podcast before um, I might've mentioned an article that I had read that was about, you know, are we, are we harming our firefighters? <laughs> like it, we're telling them that, you go to work in the fire service, all the trauma you experience will give you PTSD. And I have heard many, many people say, um, yeah, I know that I'm going to get PTSD from experiencing all this. And it's like, well, you don't have to. But the fact that that's what we're saying to people. Um, early on, I had people um, come to me 
because they had been through a really um, horrific, um, by any definition, and horrific and horrible and um, what should be horrific and horrifying is that's by definition, it's a definition by consensus. And so a lot, well, pretty much all our words are definitions by consensus. Um, even our emotions, how we label our emotions and the words we use, it's by consensus, um, which is, uh, which that kind of plays into part of this story aspect. So um, anyway, but before um, PTSD was the topic, um, we had debriefings and defusings. And um, I, part of that process would be to meet as a group, um, whether you wanted to or not. And you're always told, well, you may not want to talk, but maybe, you know, somebody else does and maybe something you have to offer will help the other person. Um, and, you know, firefighters always want to help the other person. <laughs> um, so that was a, a good hook anyway. Um, but all too often, part of this process is to tell people, well, you you will experience blah, 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 blah. And, you know, list off all these things that you'll experience from experiencing this traumatic stress. And the interesting thing is, is that everybody experiences a reaction after a traumatic stress. It's part of our survival mechanism. It's, it's like part of that fight flight system. So no matter what you think, it's like, you're going to have a response. And, and then that response is going to be labeled somehow. And, um, and how it's labeled, again, is decided by consensus of what those certain physiological responses mean. And so after a post-traumatic incident, you're going to experience um, a lot of the things that are present in PTSD, like the, the, the symptoms that make up the disorder. Um, but the thing is, is it's a reaction. It's, it, it's an acute stress reaction. Um, or let's go further. It's a um, acute stress reaction to a traumatic experience. Um, you know, whether you thought it was horrific or not is like really personally up to you. Um, but you can't deny that, you know, like trauma and traumatic. I mean, we have that defined for us. And, and yes, there is an expansion on that diagnosis or on that definition of trauma. Um, but again, you don't hear about it because it's consensus. So there are aspects of what is considered traumatic that is not identified or recognized in the United States, but it is in other countries. Um, and it, but that doesn't make it any less like a trauma reaction um, prone. I mean, because if you experience it, you'll have a reaction. You don't have a say in it. So, um, so that's kind of interesting. So it's like what we accept and define as tra trauma. It's like there is some variability around that. Um, the reaction is the universal reaction. It's our, it's our stress reaction. It is our fight flight. It is, or well, fight flight, uh, uh, friend, uh, freeze. And I think I heard 
there was another there was another one that was thrown in there too but um but there are a lot of different not a lot but there is a handful of ways that people will react um depending on um how much trauma they have experienced and what reaction has had the best outcome so that's like why freeze might show up like if you have a lot of trauma experiences um, your brain may have said, okay, well, everything we've tried to do doesn't work. Like we can't fight it. We can't outrun it. So we're just going to freeze. And, um, we'll see that type of thing, like out in the animal kingdom where freezing can actually be an appropriate response. Um, it's not really the best response in humans, <laughs> um, but it is a response nonetheless. So, um, uh, so Honey, where was I going? <laughs> you're, you're talking about the storytelling component and then the effects of trauma yes. that some people will uh, experience. Not everybody does. And that, uh, you know, I think what I'm hearing you saying is that, you know, by telling your story to fellow firefighter or a therapist or counselor or in the, you know, the peer support group, things um sort of allows them to unburden themselves i think from what they perceive as as uh, you know um traumatic to them uh, maybe more traumatic to others um but yeah. i think you know, one of the things that, that <laughs> i wanted to say that you know before we had peer support you know we had the coffee table <clears throat> and you know firefighters and emts and you know people would come back from pretty horrible calls and um, you know, grab a cup of coffee and sit around the table and, and talk about it. And some of it, you know, was dark humor. Um, you know, they'd make fun of the, or a joke about the scenario. And I think a lot of it had to do with, you know, there was their uncomfortableness with the way the whole thing went. Maybe they had a role to play and maybe not quite a so successful outcome. <clears throat> but I, and then we formalized, you know, that sort of coffee table discussion with peer support. And so, you know, and then we created a whole group of peer support individuals, which, you know, now a lot of departments are complying or compliant with or created policies that, you know, after certain calls or after, you know, individuals um, remark about a call, you know, X amount of times, and we're going to bring, you know, peer support in. Um, or, you know, if the, you know, command officer or the lieutenant or even one of the firefighters say, you know, this is probably one of the worst calls I've ever went on. Um, you know, we need to talk about it. So, you know, we used to talk about it, you know, in a more of an informal uh, way. I think the, the, which had its good sides and its bad sides. I think the good side was, um, you know, people learned um, from the call that, um, you know, yeah, it was, you know, from my perspective, it was awful. And from others' perspective, um, you know, they say, well, it's, to me, it's not such a big deal. It just, it happens and that's the way life is and all that other stuff. And so after discussion, you know, people go home and then they don't have anybody to talk to because, you know, the spouses aren't sort of steeped in the dark humor of a particular call or want to talk about the grizzly nature of a call. And so, so that, you know, if they can't unburden themselves at the coffee table and, and there's no place else to do it, then they start to, you know, kind of create this sort of <clears throat> traumatic stress. And then, you know, it becomes cumulative, right? Yeah, 
on. And then I think that, you know, what happened is that we've evolved a little bit where that we would um, consider uh, maybe we should talk to a psychologist, you know, somebody who uh, understands what we're going through as um, providers and, you know, help us through different modalities and therapies and storytelling um, that I can talk to somebody who understands what I've been through and maybe has some tools that I don't have that can help me help myself, you know, just, um, you know, sort of live long and prosper and not uh, be unduly burdened by, you know, particular calls. And and I know that you say, you know, my, as a Vietnam veteran, as an example, I have a, a few experiences that are in little boxes in my head. And, <laughs> so, um, you know, and those shall never be disturbed. So, there's no reason to. And so I think that it was a, um, you know, a self-regulating mechanism that uh, sort of encapsulated and confined, you know, pretty horrible experiences in a combat situation, um, much like we're seeing today um, on the streets, you know, with the, the shootings, the murders, the assaults, the car accidents, the, you know, the deaths, um, personal injury to firefighters and that sort of stuff. So um, I think we've come a long way in just sort of self-wrapping up your experiences and putting them in little boxes in your head somewhere. Um, um, and the and the chairman uh, recognizes Dr. Murphy because I should stop talking. <laughs> I'm like going, I, I don't really want to interrupt because you're on a roll. So I'm it's like, story. look at me. Yeah, no, that's yeah. I you've listened well. <laughs> But anyway, I I, that's where you were I going. Could, I could take credit for like pretty much all of your psychological knowledge, <laughs> which is pretty awesome. Right. I channel uh, you once in a while. Yeah. Anyway, but I think like the the point that one point that I wanted to make, and, and yes, you said a lot of the things that um I was going to get into or touch on. Um, but I think one point that I wanted to say was it it was like, it's just this, this difference of how we, um, uh, interpret that traumatic stress response and, um, and how harmful it can be if you are telling people, well, okay, you're having this you're having this traumatic stress response, which is not even really saying that, oh, this is a normal response. It's like, well, you're going to have this response and you're going to experience, you know, you're going to experience um, nightmares. You're going to experience um, uh, maybe a lapse in memory. You're going to experience, um, concentration problems you're going to experience uh you know like negative negative feelings you're going to experience i mean so i mean you kind of get it it's like you know the symptoms of ptsd are the um, re-experiencing symptoms so you know nightmares is is like the most common one people think about um and it's not unusual to have or or to um, experience something traumatic, whether it's in your personal life or um, on a incident um, while you're at work, and to have that be like really vivid and to find yourself dreaming about it, which we would 
most of the time, it's like when we're dreaming, it's our brain working stuff out that we didn't resolve satisfactorily during the day. And it, and it can be anything like I found myself dreaming about, like I was playing a video game and I got stuck on one part of it. And I dreamed about that stupid video game and that part all night long. And I was aware I was dreaming, but I was, I was asleep, but I had this awareness and I kept trying to work out how I could do this thing, which, you know, was like not worth having crappy sleep over. But, um, you know, so it's like our brain is constantly working stuff out so it can, they can work it out. It can make some meaning. It could store it. So, so having a bad dream or a nightmare about incidents that you've been involved in is not unusual. Um, and, and it's like, it, it may happen. It may not happen. Um, you may find yourself, um, being reminded of, of it and like, or like out of the blue thinking about this particular incident because it was so vivid um, and and fresh still. I mean, it's like, so these things can happen. So those are two re-experiencing um, symptoms from PTSD. Um, you can, um, well, avoidance. <laughs> avoidance is a big one uh, for PTSD, but it's like, you may not want to think about those calls that you had. So, so you're going to distract yourself or you may find that when you leave work, you don't want to go back. Um, you know, it's like when you get out of the city, you want to stay out of the city. Um, and, and that's okay. But I mean, it's like you may have that reaction after an incident. And so these are the things that people are told like in a bit more definitive way. Um, you may find yourself um, drawn to drinking more or um, and maybe you start working out more, um, but you start doing something in excess as a means to not think about these incidents. Um, uh, you can you could start to take some responsibility for or um, control. You know, it's like, that's something that we do automatically often when we've experienced something traumatic, it's like our brain likes to have a sense of control. So whether you did something or didn't do something, it's like your brain's going to go, how can I make this response, make, make me responsible in some way so that I can change it. <laughs> And that's, that's a part, often a part of the process. But the thing is, is that it doesn't always happen and it doesn't happen in that way for everybody. Um, so I've had at the, you know, kind of at the beginning of seeing more firefighters, a lot of them came in because they were told they were going to experience all these things. And when they didn't, they thought there was something wrong with them. And so they came in and they talked to me and they said, what's wrong with me? And I'm like, nothing. Because <laughs> um, sometimes something that is traumatic for one person is not labeled as traumatic for the other person. And it really does come down to how we appraise that situation. And that appraisal piece is very much dependent on you and your experiences. Um, I was talking to 
a couple of firefighters this week and talking about like a different response and um, that people can have in traumatic situations. And it's like, it could either be a, a I mean, for simplicity, a good thing or a bad thing. Um, so not responding is sometimes appropriate, but not responding sometimes means that you're shut down. And when you start to shut those things down, you pretty much end up shutting everything down. But there's a big difference between that and uh, not responding because you're able to discern from your experiences and your knowledge that that incident does not pose a threat to you and your survival. So it is not one that you have to expend a lot of energy on. Um, and it was like, um, an example that I had read was um, like in like with soldiers, it's like you can have uh, two soldiers in combat um, where one of them doesn't seem phased by the sound of gunfire and explosions where the other one is like jumping and ducking for cover every time they hear something. So it's like, so which one is healthier? And I would say, well, it kind of depends, but um, in this instance, the reality is, is the person that's not reacting all the time is healthier because they have, they know, and they've learned and they're able to discern what poses a direct threat to them versus a distance, distant threat. Uh, whereas the other person who's like going for the ground constantly doesn't know, they don't have that experience and, and they may learn it. Or they may not. I mean, it comes back to like, how do you make meaning out of it? Um, and it's um, it's like when you have that reaction, um, are you telling yourself, oh, my God, oh, my God, my life is in danger. I need to make sure I have cover, you know, or are you saying, OK, that was a distance off. And then you start to learn what it sounds like when it's at a distance. <laughs> And, and you know what it sounds like when it starts to get closer. Um, so, you know, so it is really about learning and, and that does tie into kind of like this, the stories that we tell ourselves and each other. Um, so it's like those things can be helpful and they can also be hurtful. So sometimes we find what seems like a solution and then start, we create a story that makes it seem pretty absolute um like um when you experience a traumatic stress reaction you will experience all these symptoms and the fact is is that you will have a physiological reaction but how impactful that is is based on your own personal experiences and how you make meaning and how you appraise those things um so that, and that's something that doesn't get accounted for, but that's stuff that we talk about in therapy. Um, and then the other thing, like if we take it out a little bit to the idea, like I always felt like we really needed to do more to address mental health in the fire service. And, and I, I thought it was like, more than it's more than PTSD. I mean, I, I had to come to terms with the fact that the first thing that really brought 
the conversation out of the closet was PTSD and suicide. And, um, and the fact is, is that before we even get to that point, there is some mental health struggles going on. And I think that we need to, we need to address those issues earlier um, because the earlier we address it, the more empowering we can be. And, and I'm all about empowering my client. Like I do not want them to come to me and think that they have to see me for the rest of their life. I want them to come to me and I want them to learn about themselves and to develop some tools that are um, congruent with who they are. And, and then I want them to go away <laughs> and live the best life they can. And then they can always come in for a checkup. Um, but I try to help people think a little bit differently about um, what they're doing. And, and I think that the, the story of the fire service, which is kind of what we were talking about last night, um, you know, it's like, it's, you know, we're talking about, you have the, the individual response, you have this group response, and then you have the larger group response. And then it's like, that's set in a larger a group. So it's, you know, I think of like a, like a bullseye um, with the individual at the center. And then as you go out, um, the influences get larger and larger. So it's like, we can't address the individual without recognizing the larger culture within which they are situated. And, um, you know, so it's like, you have to think about like, well, what is the culture at large that they grew up in? And we've talked about this before is that in general, men are socialized not to show emotion, like crying is not okay. Um, I know like my generation and your generation, John, I'm sure if, if you cried, you more often than not would hear something from your parent going, what are you crying about? You better stop or I'm going to give you something to cry about. <laughs> like I heard that a lot. <laughs> and, and I have to say that me crying was a lot more accepted than my brother's crying. Um, but it's like, that was, that's, that's the cultural norm. It's like women are a certain way. Men are a certain way. Um, so, you know, men are the problem solvers. They're the fighters. They're, um, you know, they're strong, they're strong, silent, <laughs> not emotional, you know, and it's like anger's okay. Um, anger or aggression. Um, so it's not okay to be sad. And that's pretty much how men were socialized. I know, I know for sure that's kind of what happened in my household with my brothers. Um, and then women are caregivers, they're nurturers, they're softer, and they're not supposed to be strong. Um, and I could tell you that I could pretty much outlift a lot of men. I won't say most men, but I know that I worked out in the gym with John in fact, that's where we met. And, um, and I worked out so hard that he found he had to work a little harder because his goal was always to stay 10 pounds ahead of me. Um, but I don't think that was in everything because I never really saw him squat the amount that I did or even do the leg press level that I did. And then, um, I don't know, did you do 200 pound bench presses regularly or... With one arm. You with one arm, yeah. 
And then uh, 40 pound dumbbell curls. I mean, cause that's what I was doing. <laughs> Yeah, it was a piece of cake, you know. Yeah, you were you were there over there struggling with the fifty, just trying to stay ahead of me. <laughs> That's when I was in shape. I couldn't do it now. Only in my yeah, mind. No, I, That's I a feel you with that. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's so it's like we have this culture at large that has this story about what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. And um, and that's like probably one of the first um, problematic areas when we go to the fire service is that um, there is something synonymous about firefighter and being strong and being a man. And so when a woman comes in and can do the job, then it's it's threatening to a lot of men. And I won't say all men, but but it can be a threat to what they were taught it meant to be a man and to be masculine. And, um, and that's, you know, and that's where, you know, we have this, this birth of the story of the firefighters of the fire service. And um, we talked about like where it came from. And it's like, if you read the history of the fire department, um, I mean, there's, it's, it's interesting um, how it came about, but like in the United States, um, the early fire department was kind of a boys club. It was, it was, it was like, you know, where men would go, they would volunteer, they were volunteers and they would go and they would, you know, they, it was a place where the women didn't go, wives didn't go there. And, um, and there would be alcohol and sometimes, you know, girlfriends. <laughs> so it, it was a place that was uh, like, a, it was a man's sanctuary, I guess you could say. Um and and I think that there's part of that beginning that, um, you know, some of that it it lingers and it's it's like you may not um, say you may not agree with that being what it is, but it's kind of like that was the origin story, and so there's like a, a undercurrent, I guess, and um, and I and I think that's that some of that is changing as we move further from that. But um, there is very much about the fire service that is steeped in tradition and, and what it used to be. And that it also is story because traditions, they're um, now more often than not written down, but they're still very much a story that we tell. Um, so um I can say that one of the biggest reasons that I wanted to go into the fire service is because of the stories that John told me <laughs> and, um, and, and, you know, the camaraderie he talked about and um, all the things that they did together. Um, and when I got into the fire service, it's like, it really wasn't like that for me at all. <laughs> like I didn't get any of that. And, um, and, so I had to start shifting my story of what the fire service was. And, um, and I know that a lot of women do that. I know that there are men that have to do that. And I know that men today that get into it, I, I've heard a lot um, of like some dissatisfaction in the job. And, and I've heard more often um, a statement like, this is not what I became a firefighter to do. And um, 
you know, most often it's because, you know, they might be going to fires um, and like some pretty significant accidents, but they're also going frequently to Mrs. Smith in the middle of the night who um, maybe fell out of bed and the staff there is told that they're not supposed to touch Mrs. Smith, even if she says she's fine and she wants to go back into bed. Call 911. So then the firefighters go. Or or I think like probably more taxing is um, the, the number of calls that involve the um, the homeless or unhoused people, um, you know, fires in the camps, uh, emergency medical calls in the camps, um, some like really uh, significant um, like crimes against humanity type calls and some overdoses. Um, and, and then the overdoses are frequent and it's, you know, they may go to the same person like four times throughout the night. Um, you know, they'll wake them up with Narcan. And if they say they don't want to go to the hospital, they don't go to the hospital. But then you get called back because they, they you know, had more drugs or they found more drugs and then they overdosed again. And it's like, this is not what um, firefighters are trained to deal with. And it's not part of the story that they were told when they wanted when they were deciding to become a firefighter. And so I've had a lot of discussions with people that are disillusioned because the reality of the job is different than the story. And so, um, so there's a lot that comes with that story. Um, And I think like one of the, well that, and then, and then maybe one of the biggest things, I mean, one of the biggest things to me is the um the the story that is stated or implied it's either explicit or implicit around mental health being a weakness so showing emotion again it's like if you think about like the culture the larger culture men have been socialized it's not okay to show emotion it's not okay to react emotionally unless it's anger so um, now you come into the fire service that is, I called it like a, um, a hyper-masculine uh, subculture of the culture at large. Um, so it's, it's like whatever definition there was to being a man in the culture at large, it's like, it's like even, it's like they doubled down in, in the fire service. Um, and so so now you're in the fire service and you've been brought up to not show emotion and that showing emotion is not okay. And it's a sign of weakness. And, um, and then you, you know, you have that stigma. So, and we talk about the stigma all the time. And so, um, so we, you know, but we started talking about, um, mental health stuff. We started talking about like, well, you can have this reaction um, when you're exposed to all these things, because you're exposed to human suffering um, every day, it's some form of human suffering, and that is in addition to what you yourself experience um, at work, in your personal life, um, within your family, um, 
within the going out within the culture at large. It's like you have your own personal experiences. And so now you're dealing with yours and everybody else's. And nobody ever said it was okay to feel something emotional when you're faced with something that's emotional. <laughs> um you know, it's like if you're faced with human suffering, how do you not respond? How do you not feel it? And but you're told not to. And and even people that have like say, yeah, you know, we really need mental health. We really need to work on this. We really need to talk about it. I've had them tell me that they had a conversation with a new firefighter who was like really struggling after a call. And, and they were um, like talking about it and saying, they admitted they were struggling. They were tearful. And, and then the response of this person who like said they were an advocate for talking about it and mental health and like be open and talk um, said to this person, you know, maybe this isn't the right job for you. If that bothers you, maybe this isn't the right job for you. And I was just like, I just got done teaching a class <laughs> when, when, and this guy invited me and, and he said this to me and I was dumbfounded. I'm like, did he not listen to the class? Um, and, and it's somebody that I would say is more psychologically minded than other people. I mean, it, it just, it kind of floored me, but that it's not the first time I heard that. I've heard it many, many times. If you're bothered by that call, maybe you shouldn't be a firefighter. It's like, how can you not be bothered? And we need to say now, the story needs to be, yeah, that we are seeing human suffering and that bothers me. That, you know, it's like, I'm sad. You don't have to wallow in it or, or like, really get into it and get all like warm and fuzzy with your feelings around it. But it's like just acknowledging it like that was that was tough. And you may or may not um, have something. It may not be something that sticks with you. It might be where you recognize that was that was really sad. Um, I remember seeing a lot of calls that were really sad and and telling myself and acknowledging that man that was that was sad that was hard um but also recognizing that i was there and i helped in the best way that i could and i didn't cause that problem um and and i feel bad that they had to live that problem um and it, so i i acknowledged it and it's like that really is what you need to do and being able to say that was really sad to the rest of your crew that helps a lot because it's like they probably were sad too or saddened by it. And that level of sadness, maybe they weren't sad. Maybe they were angry about it. Maybe they were disgusted by it. You know, it's like that label, that emotional label that we put on what we have as a physiological response varies from person to person based on their own experiences. So again, what might be labeled as sad for you might've been labeled as um, anger 
or or disgust or any anything like that. I mean, it, it's like that label can vary, but being able to talk about it and recognize that there are those different uh, definitions um, and not make one not shut down and express it yourself, or even maybe you don't express it, but at least acknowledge it to yourself. Um, but also like be willing to accept other people's definition of that situation, because um, we have different realities. We might be on the same call, but our perception of it is going to be different. I, I remember having doing um, couples therapy um, and I was listening to the, you know, the, the wife and the husband talk and um, they are clearly different personalities, clearly had different experiences and, um, you know, different like willingness to talk and define what they're feeling or whatever. But um, I'll never forget the time where I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm listening and I'm like, it's not, they're telling the same story. They're just telling it like from their standpoint, their perspective. And, um, and I, I said, you know, it's so interesting. I'm listening to your story and you're both basically saying the same thing. Um, and, but it's, it's like, it, it's not said in a way that, you each hear and recognize as being the same thing. And so really what it comes down to is like, there are multiple truths <laughs> and the, and the husband thought that was amazing. <laughs> he was like going, yeah. And the wife, like, I swear if she could kill me with her look, she would have, um, she was not all that happy with that interpretation. Um, but she did think about it. And, um, and so they did come back after that. Um, so, and it, but it, it did, it did make her think and start to think a little bit differently. And, um, and the husband was just really happy to embrace that aspect of like, he could have his own truth and it didn't have to be hers. So, um, but that, you know, that is true. It's like, we have different realities and, and then it's like, when we're listening to the stories being told, um, it, we need to accept that those stories come from that person's individual experience and those experiences are different. And so that story will be different um, and it different doesn't make it wrong. Um, so that's, you know, so that at the individual level, which again, it's like, that doesn't happen much in the fire service because there's one way to be. <laughs> strong and <laughs> take care of business. Um, and so this is something that I've had come up a lot too, is, um, you know, there's, so in Washington state, PTSD is presumptive, um, which I think is a good start. Um, and there's difficulties in handling all that, um, in the system, but, um, it's, a, it's, it's progressing. <laughs> so, um, but, but the fact is, is that it's like, there are a lot of firefighters that have come forward and, um, and maybe that kind of surprised the, the people within the, the worker comp system that they would make this presumptive and they'd get this flood of firefighters with, um, PTSD. Um, but 
um, recently I've heard of a couple cases where the PTSD claim has been denied even after appeal. And the biggest reason was because like a few years before they had been seen for depression and, and an increase in alcohol use. And, um, and so it was denied because, well, they were seen and diagnosed with depression before and they drink a lot. <laughs> and, and so, um, alcohol can cause, well, I, it doesn't really cause depression, but I mean, it's like, that is a, a line of thinking that some professionals have is like it, cause it is a depressant. So if you're drinking a lot, you're going to be depressed. Um, but they're ignoring, like, why is that person drinking? And then they're ignoring the fact that this person might have gone to seek help and, and it was labeled, diagnosed as um, major depressive disorder um, because the symptoms, that's what it might have sounded like to the professional that was hearing them and made that diagnosis. Um, and then they may not have said some of the key components of what PTSD is. And they may not have said it because it's part of the culture. It's like, it's expected. Um, and that is the story. It's, it's like, you're going into um, deal with people's trauma. You're going to be exposed to some pretty horrific things. You're going to be exposed to things that you never imagined. And and the story says that you're going to experience these things and it's just part of the job. So I, because I've been hearing these cases of where it's been denied and they've had these early diagnoses of depression, you know, when I'm talking to them, you know, I'm walking them through their history of, of their career. And I, I cannot tell you every single time I'm like, when you were going and getting help before, you more than likely had or were, ex were experiencing PTSD and, and your alcohol use was how you dealt with it. But because alcohol is a big part of the culture, you don't notice it as a problem. And that was <laughs> that discussion today even. Um, because it's, you know, it's like you get together, you drink, um, you get off work and in the morning you go with your crew to have breakfast and you might have a beer. <laughs> um, I can't, I can't imagine you know, the saying may be, well, it's 12 o'clock somewhere. Um, and, uh, you know, it's like they, it, it's like you're off duty and you're, you get together with your fire department buddies, or you go to a training <laughs> It's like, what do you do? You go drink. So alcohol is part of the culture. And I have heard many um, providers um, ignore that or dismiss that and, um, and not take that into account. Like, you know, this person came in to the fire service and they may have been a social, maybe they didn't drink. Maybe they were just a social drinker and they ignore how the um, fire service culture um, contributes to that increase in alcohol consumption, but also how it can start becoming more and more prevalent because that is their primary coping 
Um, there are far too many firefighters out there who are drinking themselves to blackout so that they can sleep, which they're not really sleeping. Um, it's like the worst sleep imaginable. Um, they're just blacked out, sedated. Um, so it's like it wasn't picked up ear on earlier because it was something that firefighters didn't talk about. I mean, it was hard enough to admit that you're struggling with you know, feeling sad or empty or not feeling at all. Um, but, you know, you wouldn't tell people that, oh, yeah, I, I was having nightmares. Or every time I go down the street, I get these vivid flashes of a multitude of calls that I've gone on. Um, because you were told that's part of the culture. That's just the way it is. And so if you think it's part of the culture and it's just the way it is, it's like, well, that's obviously something you're supposed to experience and not complain about. So I think that that was probably one of the biggest things that contributed to, um, you know, missing a diagnosis of PTSD or maybe a recognition of post-traumatic stress uh, reaction or post-traumatic stress injury or, you know, catching it earlier, you know, it's like you can let all that stuff go until it gets to the point of where it meets a disorder. Um, but it's like, why not catch it earlier? And, and I think the reason is, is because that is not, that's not the fire service. It's not the fire service way. <laughs> um, so it's um, it's something that I think it's changing, but I think it is it's an individual base. And I think that even the people that are talking the loudest about the need for um, mental health uh, interactions and interventions and um, you know that access, um, it's kind of like, well, it's for all you. It's it's not for me, but it's for all you. And they're not recognizing how impacted they are by um, everything they've experienced. Um, so it's, you know, I think it's um, it being everybody being able to admit that they've been touched in some way by it. And um, the job doesn't have to be the way it is. It's like, you do something to help a situation, whether you're interacting with people or you're um, fighting a fire. Um, I mean, it's, it's still, it, even if you're interacting with a thing, a fire, a house or a home or something, it's like, well, that belonged to somebody. So it ultimately comes down to, it's a, it's a people job. It's a, I, which is, is that's kind of interesting to me because I worked a lot of um, retail jobs and, you know, that's all about customer service. When I got hired for the fire service, I'm like, yes, I finally got out of customer service, not realizing, um, but quickly learning that the fire service is the ultimate customer service job. So there's just no way around those interactions with, with people. And, um, and so um, it's like, whatever you're experiencing, um, you need to 
be able to at least acknowledge what you might be feeling. And, um, you know, there, it could be that you fought a fire and, and it was a, it was a good save. You saved the foundation. <laughs> I know. See, there's some dark humor. Cause that was like a joke. It's like, well, at least you saved the foundation. It's good save. Um, and nobody was hurt, but it's still, you know, is a loss for the person that owned that. And so it's like, you could be that person that recognizes it and really feels for that person. Um, or you could be that person that recognizes, yeah, it's like this person lost everything. That's really sad. Um, or that's really difficult or, you know, that doesn't feel good. And it's that acknowledgement piece is like really all, I won't say it's all you need, but um, it's, acknowledging that there is something there. There is something that is almost always uncomfortable. And whatever you label that as is based in your experience. So, um, but acknowledging it and not stuffing it away, not ignoring it, not questioning how strong you are because you felt that or didn't feel that. So the strongest people I know feel things um they can have empathy and that that is kind of what we're talking about and there are a lot of firefighters that are really empathic that are in complete denial of that because they don't want to feel that stuff um but it's it's like that feeling that and recognizing it is like the first step towards being able to make sense out of it and to make meaning out of it um, and and that's going to help give your brain the feedback it needs to um, to make different decisions going forward, or to um, or to uh, react in a different way. Um, which this is something I will say, and it could totally be its own episode. Um, but I've been listening. Uh, to an audio book and the book is called how emotions are made. Um, and so, and this is an area of interest to me because this is another thing I hear a lot from firefighters, which most of the ones I interact with are male. Um, but they often come in because like their significant other said that they need to, they need to, and it often stems from, uh, in, in their words, that they they don't they're not good with emotions. <laughs> they you know they can't they can't feel it. They can't label it. You know it's like so they'll shut down, and that is a risk of um, that shutting down in the fire service. If we buy into the story and we start stuffing, we accept that we're going to feel these things because it's the it's the fire department. It's what firefighters do, and we start stuffing things down and shutting down. Um, if that is how we respond, then we are going to shut down other areas. You cannot just shut something down at work and and not have that start to happen everywhere in your life. Um, and that doesn't mean that you're an emotional wreck on every call. You know, it's it's like I teach people how to use a container where they take whatever it is that's uncomfortable and they can't deal with in that moment, they acknowledge it 
which is like the first really key piece because that moves it from the amygdala to your prefrontal cortex. And when it's up here, you can do something with it. If it's back here, you're not doing anything with it. And so it doesn't get stored properly. So that acknowledgement piece, that's why I keep saying it's like acknowledge it. You know, it's like you can label it whatever you want to, whatever is appropriate for you. Or you could just say that was really uncomfortable because you know what's uncomfortable. You know what doesn't feel good in your body. So it's like even that, it's like that was a crappy call. That did not feel good. Um, you've just moved it to somewhere where you can do something with it. But then if you can't do anything more than that, then you can put it in your container and then you come back to it later. And, and you, and you would say to yourself, okay, I can't, I, I really can't process this any more than this. I'm going to put it in my container and I'm going to come back to it later. And it's that last piece that is important for your brain to relax and let that go. And you can do that throughout your shift. And then at the end, then you can open up that container and you could look at everything that you experienced. And then you can proceed to make some more sense out of it. And you may not have to address every single thing that you experience. Maybe just, you know, one or two of the of the calls that stood out to you, which will be different than what stood out for the people you work with. They may have different calls stand out for them, but you can go through that process. And it's like, well, why did this one bother me so much? You know, how did it bother me? Where do I feel this? Um, what, what emotions do I um, assign to this? And, um, and, and, and why? And, and it is the things that bother you the most are usually the things that are important in some way. If it wasn't important and it didn't matter, it really wouldn't bother you. So, um, so you go through that process. And then the last step of that is to, is to like make some sort of meaning out of it. And, you know, it's like, there are calls where people have said to me, there's like, there's no way I can make meaning out of that. And, I always tell them, it's like, that's okay. Like you can't do it now, but you may be able to do it in some way down the road. And it's not about like seeing why this thing was a good thing. Um, because when it involves human suffering, it's like, that's like pretty impossible, but it's like, maybe, maybe the meaning you make out of it is that it helped you recognize something um, and recognize something earlier so that you yourself can respond differently. Um, or um, maybe the experience helps you recognize it um, in situations outside of work. And then, and then you're able to um, do something um, and, and feel and, and then that will make you feel better about that situation um, because you are able to take that experience and do something with it. So, um, but it can be challenging. So sometimes it's easier said than done. And so, um, but you spend time thinking about it and you don't force it. And it may be that that's something that is, it kind of stays in, 
the more readily accessible parts of your memory. And, and maybe it does come up later, um, but it's doing that because there's still some work to do around it. Um, so, uh, you know, and it depends on like how it feels when it comes up. So if it comes up and it's not really, really impactful or really, really vivid, then it means that you've done some of the beginning work on it. Um, the things that come up and have the biggest impact and are more vivid, it means that you have work to do around it and, um, and you haven't done it yet for some reason. And it may be because you've told yourself a story about it that's not true. So every time a memory comes up, we rewrite it a little bit. It changes. So, um, so it's like you just need to be aware of that and, and recognize that and just know that what story you tell yourself and the story of the culture at large, um, that all matters. And you get to choose what the story is and how you tell it and how you tell yourself that story. Um, and, um, and it's just being aware of how different people might tell the story differently. So, and then I know that there was, I, I went off topic because I came back around to finish something um, and I, I lost the other point. <laughs> so, um, well, I think it was, oh, it was about emotions, um, which I said is a whole nother episode. Um, but it's like, basically, this is the thing that, um, this is like a little tidbit and it's very simplistic, but you know, when we're talking about emotions, um, the emotions that we tend to assign to different situations and different physiological responses, those are um, labels that are made by consensus. It's like what we've told is an appropriate emotion. And it also is why, um, because we do label our emotions from that, um, it's why some people have, a well, they think a mismatch. Um, so they may have an emotional response to a situation that is maybe not not what would be considered appropriate, um, except for the fact that it's it's a label. <laughs> we put a label on. We have a physiological response. We're in some environment. We have a physiological response, and then we look around that environment for cues as to how we should label that emotion. And it obviously it happens so fast. We don't have this conscious thought process around it. Um, but when it comes to our environment, when there is a stimulus out there, something happens, um, we have a physiological response. Our brain has already decided what we're going to do. So it has a, um, mm, I just forgot the term, um, It already has a response and you've already started to respond before you start to make sense out of what just happened. And, um, and then what you do after that sends feedback to the brain and that whole response system so that the next time you would have a, you may have a different response. So it's, it's like this automatic response and it's like our brain is doing that so fast and, and it's doing it in response to an intake of some of the environment and stimulus um, 
and not all of it. And it's obviously you still have incoming information through all your senses, but you've already like your, your brain's already said, well, we're going to respond this way and then you'll do it. And if it's wrong, then the brain gets feedback and you'll do it differently. Um, and it's like, that's something that I've just, I am just starting to learn about. Um, everything I thought I knew about emotions is um, kind of being rewritten. So um, it's not like all of it is thrown out, but some of it is. And, and this is something that, you know, multiple researchers from different uh, schools of thought are coming together again. And they're saying, wow, this is like, this is pretty amazing. This is, this is different than what we thought. So there's like some truth in some of the previous studies that have been done on emotions, but there's a lot that has been overturned. And, um, and so it, it is interesting when I have so many people come to me and say, I don't know, I don't know how to feel about this. I don't know my emotions. I'm not in touch with my emotions. And now that I've been reading this book and, and reading some of the research, I'm like, well, that's okay. <laughs> it's like, is it uncomfortable or comfortable? I mean, it really does come down to that. If it's uncomfortable, that means you got to do something with it. Um, and even if you don't know what to label it, it's fine. And it doesn't mean you can't label your emotions. It's just know when something is uncomfortable. Um, that is probably one of the areas where we can have some truth is like in how our body responds to the environment we're in. Um, because our brain will lie to us and it's not always helpful when it does. So, um, and if you ever decide to sit and breathe and just notice yourself in that moment and you start noticing all the thoughts that you're having because you will have a lot as soon as you sit down and you're like I'm going to meditate and because most people think meditation is clearing your mind um you'll sit down and immediately notice how many thoughts you have and then you're going to think I can't do this well it's like probably one of the most powerful meditations is mindful meditation. And in that moment, you are, you are sitting in that moment and you are aware of your thoughts and, and you try not to follow anyone thought you just, and if you do, it's fine. Just come back to your breath, just breathe normal and just notice, and you will notice how many thoughts you have and you will notice how many of those thoughts aren't really true. <laughs> or helpful or relevant. Um, and it's like that in and of itself is a really powerful thing because it's like your your brain, your thought process, it can, it can tend towards something really negative. And it does that because it's a it's a force to make you change how you behave and interact the next time you're in a certain situation. And so if you had pleasant thoughts and you felt good, there's really no reason to change what you were doing. But if it doesn't feel good, then you're going to want to change. So that is something that will happen is that we will tend towards negative thinking and negative appraisals of a situation. We will end up with labels of, of emotions that we will label as negative. And, um, and that is all meant to push us to make change and to grow and to do something different and hopefully better 
eventually. So, um, but we tend to get hung up in it and stuck in it. So it's like doing a few minutes of mindful meditation and, and actually noticing all those thoughts can be really helpful to um, help us not grab onto that negative explanation right away. And to, you know, to say, you know, it's like, mm. I heard Dr. Murphy say that we think a lot of negative thoughts. So maybe I won't believe that one. And I will think about this a little bit different. Um, and if all you can do is just go, yeah, I'm not feeling really good about what I just experienced. That's okay. Um, you can, um, your brain can do something with that. And, and hopefully it won't make up a negative story. And if it does, you can go, no, that's not helpful. That that's, that's not really a true story. Um, and then you can, you can let that go and you can, you can help your brain create a different story. So um, I think that that was like a pretty windy explanation. I had a lot of thoughts and it all like entwined and it really does come, it comes down to like the stories, the stories we tell ourselves, the stories of our, our careers, um, the stories of how we're supposed to be. Um, it's like, you're going to be how, how you're going to be. And it's not going to be the same for everyone. Just because somewhere down the road, somebody told you you're going to get PTSD from experience all this trauma. It doesn't mean that's true you will have a traumatic stress response. That is true. But that doesn't mean that you're going to develop a disorder. It doesn't mean that you're going to be struggling with it forever. Um, there may be some aspects that might stick with you a little bit, a little longer than you would like, but um, acknowledging that and facing it and recognizing you know, what it was that contributed to that and that sticking with you helps you to make sense out of it and make meaning out of it. And once that happens, it is going to be gone because it won't be as vivid. It won't be as painful. Um, a sad event will always have some sadness there um, if that's what you labeled it. And that's okay. Um, when tragedy happens, you feel something and that means you're human. And that is the thing that you need to remember is that you are a human being and everybody that you interact with is another human being. And you all experience these things. Um, working as a firefighter, being in the fire service, no matter what that story tells you a firefighter is or what it means to be a firefighter. It's like, it's, it's not necessarily true and, and it can get in the way. It's like you are first and foremost a human being and you are connected to every other human being on this planet in some way. And um, if you remember that, that's going to go a long way for keeping you healthy on the job, um, mentally for sure, and hopefully physically. So um, hopefully you thought this was, you found something helpful in this. Um, I will tell you, 
um, like the kind of the references for this talk, aside from talking with my husband and my own experiences um, and the multitude of firefighters that I've had conversations with um, is um, Huberman Lab, his podcast. And I know that you've heard me mention that podcast before um, that um, he's a, a great source for um, like current research and um, and then it kind of points you to other experts. Um, and then um, the the book how emotions are made um, that was written by uh, Dr. Lisa Feldman Barrett, Lisa Fel Lisa Feldman Barrett or Lisa Barrett Feldman. I don't remember now which was which. Um, uh, I have it. Uh, Lisa Barrett Feldman, I believe, is the correct one. Um, Oh, that's funny. That has like a different, that is not who that was. Um, okay. That's funny. I want, I really, I want to get that right. Cause I, I really think like um, if you're interested in any of this stuff, you might be interested in checking out her book. Um, and I may have just told you the wrong one. Um, How emotions are made. It is Lisa Feldman Barrett. So yes, Lisa Feldman Barrett. So, um, and this is all based on current research about emotions and um, it has proved to be, um, from her perspective, what she says is quite surprising. And she's done this work with a lot of other experts in the field around emotion who had different theories around it. And, um, and they're finding that they have all gotten at least some of it wrong. So, I, I think it's really pretty amazing. So um, her book is pretty straightforward. Um, I think you don't have to have any type of science background. I think she's pretty relatable in how she talks about it. And um, and it might help you think about like how you feel <laughs> going forward. Um, so um, that, so that is like, a, you know, like one of the other main um resources. And then um, I do a, um, a narrative. So there's a narrative therapy, which um, deals a lot with stories. And, um, and so that also is, is kind of a basis for this understanding. So it was like pulling a lot of different pieces in. Um, so I hope that you found it helpful and you got something out of it. And, um, and we can talk more later about emotions because that seems to be a topic that comes in frequently. So um, thank you very much for listening and, um, and we'll talk again. So, and thanks John for being on the podcast and I didn't even let you talk after your initial talk. <laughs> Sorry, I had nothing to say. I was just your audience of one today. <laughs> yes. Well, that was nice. I like it. And I figured you would have popped in with something if if you wanted to. Um, I didn't see you raise your hand, so...
I didn't. Yeah. I enjoyed your presentation. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs>